Life is everything. It's it's grief and tenderness and heartbreak and beauty and joy and and savagery. It's all there. Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the art of humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. Hi, it's Jessica Ann, and this is episode 23 of the Art of Humanity. My guest today is Philip Shepard. You may have heard me quote him if you listened to the previous episode with Zach Leary. Philip is an author and international authority on embodiment, which we'll get to what this word means in a little bit. There are certain books that act as timestamps in my life. I have a feeling that years from now, I'm going to be looking back at his current book, New Self, New World, as one of those transformative moments. By the way, he has a new book out in November called Radical Wholeness. I put the link to pre-order it on Amazon on my website at jessicaannmedia.com. In this interview, we touch on a number of topics, like how exactly do you integrate the mind and the heart, and why knowledge is lethal unless it's counterbalanced by self-knowledge. There are so many insights that you can learn with your mind, but if you get anything from this interview, it's to not think about what you're hearing, but rather feel into it. I'm excited to bring you this new episode, Happy Full Moon. Oh, and if you enjoy my podcast, give it a review on iTunes. Welcome to the Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to allow you and your business to evolve. Today, I'm so thrilled to have with me Philip Shepard. Philip is recognized as an international authority on embodiment. His unique techniques have been developed to transform our experience of self and worlds, and they're based on the vision articulated in his celebrated books, New Self, New Worlds, and Radical Wholeness, which is expected for release in November of 2017. The approach he takes heals the frantic, restless pace of the intelligence in the heart, which tends to run on overdrive, by uniting it with the deep, present, and calm intelligence of the body. Philip, thank you so much for joining me on The Art of Humanity. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here, Jessica. Thanks so much. Philip, you're an international authority on embodiment, as I read in your bio which is an interesting word, embodiment. Um, I'd love to start there and uh, talk a little bit about what this word means and why it matters today. Well, if you're going to start anywhere, that's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say it's a great place to start because in our culture, we so deeply misunderstand um, embodiment you know, we're a culture that is so devoted to the head that we feel we live in our heads. And we're we're sort of so mired in that paradigm that embodiment has come to mean listening to the body, for example. And, you know, it's a, it's a lovely sentiment, listening to the body, but if you examine the metaphor, it's basically telling you that your body is in the room next door, and the best you can do is to put your ear to the wall separating you from it to find out what's going on on the other side. You know, to listen to the body is to remain divided from it. 
which is which is which is not the same as embodiment. So I don't, you know, in my work, I don't um, talk about listening to the body. I do talk about listening to the world through the body, and I I feel the body as a resonator. It's like a a bell that rings to the world around it. And what happens in our culture is, you know, it's as though we're stuffing the bell with cotton balls and it, it loses its resonance. And when, when the body no longer resonates to those subtle, flowing, ever-present currents of being, the presence ceases to exist in, in any tangible way, except as you might look at it through the windshield of your car. So we're by because we're estranged from the body, we're estranged from the world around us. So embodiment to me really means the full activation of my intelligence. Hmm. And I find it strange that we've we've so privileged the intelligence of the head that we've come to believe that we can think more clearly with a, a cut-off portion of our intelligence than we can with the intelligence of our whole being. It's a lot of the byproduct of a society that conditions us to be in our heads. I'm reading your book. I'm almost done with your book, uh, New Self, New World. And it's, like, I want to say mind-opening, but at the same time, it's heart-opening. Um, uh, because it's, you know, it really... It gives me the ability to access wisdom that I can feel deep in my bones. So I, I love that you talk about this in your book. And I think that there is an importance to knowing uh, about this stuff in our minds it, so that we can access it in our hearts. Do we have the ability to access this simple wisdom of our hearts through our minds? Or is it something that we just need to embody as a whole? Yeah, I mean, there, to me, there are two answers. You, you're 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 almost um, born with that ability because you're born in wholeness. The whole of your being is one undivided, seamless experience as an infant. But then, as you say, we're systematically uh, taught to desensitize ourselves and compartmentalize the aspects of our intelligence, um, and. I don't, you know, I don't, I honestly don't think we can make much progress either personally or as a, as a culture until we look at the story that is driving us. Um, you know, any culture is an aggregation of architecture and language and beliefs and hierarchies and values, um, ways of being that communicate a very specific idea of what it means to be human. And right now we're driven um, by a story that is chasing phantoms. It's chasing fantasies. And then we wonder why we feel alienated and out of sorts and disconnected. Um, so even your question about, you know, connecting the mind to the heart um, 
I would I would just crack that open a bit because to me, the mind, the heart, and the pelvic bowl are three sort of vital centers of intelligence in the body, sort of in line with the Chinese Dantians. Um, and, and we, in our culture, we know that the heart is important, but we're trying to go from the head to the heart. And I think that's, I think that's dangerous. And the reason I say dangerous is because the heart is sort of like a, like a flower that, that opens when it's nourished. And the nourishment that sustains the heart in, in its opening to the world is the nourishment of your being. And it's that, it's that lower intelligence in the pelvic bowl. It's as though the heart is rooted there. And when, if you're, so if your heart's cut off from your being, what's it expressing? The heart is, is, if your being lights up in joy, your heart opens to that joy and expresses it. The, the heart takes its cue from, from your being. It's, to me, the heart is like a portal, and it's where my wholeness meets the wholeness of the world. And if I've, if I've not enabled myself to come to rest in the pelvic bowl, in that ground of being, then I'm not in a place of wholeness. And then my I haven't that wholeness available to meet the world's wholeness. So we're we're taxing the heart with with demands and expectations that strike me as being a little unfair to it because it's like asking a flower to open without without providing it roots. Your work is really a byproduct of how you experience the world. And, and it's beautiful that you are teaching this and, and to others, and you've written about this extensively. Uh, you, you live in Toronto, and you see, it seems that you travel a lot. But at the same time, you're pretty grounded, and you have this infinite awakeness to your being. I'd love to dig a little bit deeper and get some context around why you do the work that you do. Um, when did this embodiment experience uh, appear in your life, and how can we experience this aliveness and learn to be more present in our bodies? Yeah, um, I wish I could really trace the origins. I, at a when I was a teenager. Um, there's a great quote by Anais Nin. I when love you, her. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> when when you're pretending your entire being revolts, or maybe she even says your entire body revolts, and and that just sums up how I felt as a teenager. It's like all the adults in the world around me had bought into this fantasy and were inviting me to come join them in it, and and. It was um, it was like make believe, but no one no one actually let on that they knew it was make believe, and I I I could feel my being actually violated by the the um, demands to conform with 
ways of thinking and values and and um, ways of being in the world. And so when I was 18, I sort of knew that my culture would take me down if I didn't get out of it. So I went to England and bought a bicycle and headed off for Japan and, you know, cycled through Europe and the Middle East and India. And I was alone in the world on this bicycle and talk about embodiment, you know, when you're sleeping outside and riding all day and you're, you know, every bend you go around is one you've never been around in your life. You have no idea what's ahead. Hmm. It's, um, it's so liberating because you're, you're almost of necessity drawn back to that deep, deep knowing that place of security within yourself that, that, that is your, is your core, you know, the core of your being. Um, and when I finally did come back to my home, almost two years had elapsed and it was the first time I felt culture shock. And, and that was the greatest gift in a way that I could have come home with because I came home able to ask questions of what before I left was just hidden assumptions that I that I could no more see than than I could the wallpaper that you take for granted. So the questions that arose from that two-year stint of traveling, um, those are what really formed the book New Self, New World, although it was some decades in the in the making. Wow. And it's really true that we need travel or we need to get outside of our own day-to-day existence to kind of see the inner workings of how our mind operates almost. So, I mean, as you talk about in your book, um, you know, it's really the wound of our culture is the separation of our thinking and our being. Um, And the research that you found in your book and everything that I've been reading about human consciousness explores the the need for a paradox of our existence so that we can engage in a holistic experience. How do we, as someone listening to this who may live an existence that is, you know, typical day-to-day, check off your to-do list, how do we open our our hearts to the ability to be curious about another possible existence out there? And does that impede on our ability to be who we are today? Yeah, I mean, curiosity is certainly the engine that, 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 that drives the quest. You know, quest itself is, is the word that question comes from. Um, and you know, in my work, in my life, the deepest um, estrangement is the the division of my thinking from my being, as you say. And the body is just demeaned. This this subtle, fluid, 
attuned intelligence of the body is so um, put in, it's, it's eclipsed to such an extent that we, we no longer retain the ability to, to even recognize that it's there. And then how, you know, the question then is how to, you know, it's a process of undoing, how to undo the divisions and compartmentalizations within the body. Because we have all these centers of intelligence, but we're in, in either or modes with all of them. So we can, we can come into the body and feel the sensuality of it, and that's so nice, and then somebody asks us a question and we become analytical and it's like flipping from one to the other and our intelligence is a unity. The whole of your being can participate in analysis just as the whole of your being can participate in, in, uh, in, in an experience of art or an experience of pleasure. Um, and, and to discover and begin to soften those divisions that separate the intelligence of the of the head from the intelligence of the heart and the intelligence of the pelvic bowl from the intelligence of the head and the uh, everything's everything's out of whack that you know our our even our our um, genitals and our heart are 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 out of whack so when I was a kid, you know, all the movies were about romance and love, but like no sex. And now it seems that, that movies are about sex, but no romance. It's like we can't, can we not, can we not bring these together? They're one, they're one thing, one expression of, of the unity of being. Um, so it's a, you know, there's no quick fix to, to, despite what, um, is promised by various modalities. It's it's a matter of softening into self knowledge. But even you know even to say that, what we understand as self knowledge is a misunderstanding. I feel that's created by the fact that we live in our heads. So we think self knowledge is something you gain as you you know. Uh, Move deep inside yourself and discover your truth, and and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, inner work is crucial, but the task of inner work is to find and undo the divisions and barriers that separate you from the world. Mm. And then once once those are undone, self knowledge is what arises as you come deeply into felt relationship with the world. You can't, you can't hold a light onto your face and discover what it looks like. You know, you can't shine a light on yourself and discover who you are. But as you open the heart, as you open your being to the world around you, and you, you see some kid in a, in a meadow playing with, with a daisy chain, or you see you know, a, a star in the firmament and you feel it and you come into felt relationship with it, feel its living presence. As you open your being to that living presence, you will be illuminated in a particular way. 
the child will illuminate you in a particular way as the star will. And it's as you come into felt relationship with the world around you that who you are is illuminated by the world. You've had such a holistic experience of this as a young age. Like you mentioned as a teenager, you revolted against the adults. And it's like we're programmed as a young kid to want to become an adult and unlearn everything that is in our body as knowledge. And it's almost like we get, uh, it's almost like we're, we just, we get led down this path of, uh, of being an adult. And it's the opposite of who we truly are at our core. You know, we say, we use all these cliches, like follow your heart and live authentic. And we want to live with grace, but our society today is in a divided state and we talk about living through our heart, but it's really, it needs to flow through us with compassion. And that leads and as you, I I think you're saying is that leads to self-knowledge um, and, and there's so much power and transformation that can happen at that point. What, what is something that, say someone's listening to this and they're just starting to understand this, what is the best way or an analogy you can use that'll help listeners to understand the kind of programming that we're taught at a young age and how to deprogram ourselves as we go through life? Is there any tool or analogy or metaphor that you can use that simplifies this, you know, we're using all these big words to talk about something so simple. So is there any way other than um, embodiment that we can explain this to listeners who maybe want to live in their heart, but, you know, don't want to overcomplicate things more than they have to be? Yeah, there's real value in in bringing it down to simplicity. Um, You know, the as a as you get underway um, in liberating yourself from the strictures of of our culture's story, you recognize that what you're what you're undoing is is within you. It's it's not outside of you. So you you live with prohibitions against experiencing your wholeness. Those prohibitions are seeded in your cells. So something as simple as the breath, once you begin to understand that the whole of the body can be available to the breath, then you get these insights into how you're holding tension in your belly and how the breath can't find its way down through the hips how you know and the the body softens as it as it softens into its natural fluidity and you know the body's 65% water it's a fluid medium and as as you as you identify with its true nature in that way and experience its fluidity you experience the breath as a wave that travels down to the the toes and to the top of the head and out to the fingertips and this breath wave to, to be to be fully available to the breath in the body is to be fully available to your life in this moment and to your being in this moment. Mm-hmm. And as the body opens to the breath, it it becomes more spacious. 
And that spaciousness in the body is something our, you know, we, we're, we're, our culture um, deeply neglects what is felt in the body. We don't even have a, a word for what is sensed in the body, unlike some other cultures. But, but when you feel wonderful, there is so much space in your body. You know, when you're walking on the beach on a carefree morning with a, a breeze kind of drifting over the waves, and there's so much spaciousness in your body that all the world can live there. And you contrast that to, you know, you're late for a meeting and you're driving through rush hour traffic and the whole body just constricts and chokes itself. And so your, your recognition of when there is spaciousness in the body and when the body's constricted is at the same time a recognition of when you are surrendering to wholeness and when you are pulling back from the world that holds you in its arms. Mm. So, to, you know, breath, breath is the entree to that. And then once you value that spaciousness, the world is no longer just outside of you. You actually of the world. You feel the sights of the world deep inside the body. I love that. The world holds you. Uh, as you were talking about our bodies and, and how we're 65% water, I was just reminded of a dream I had where I was in the middle of the ocean and I just felt weightless. And I was like there were dolphins and whales and fish and it was just this beautiful experience and uh and then I woke up and and I felt my my body still like floating on the water and then and then I realized oh wait I'm a human having a human experience like I'm on land now and it was almost this like I could feel both sides of the spectrum I could feel this weightlessness of the water and of this presence and then I felt the the almost the hardness of being on land it was such a paradox because it was like one extreme and then all of a sudden my body and my mind awakened to the the earth being on this earth and uh and then yeah i wonder i wonder if part of that hardness though is 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 coming from that state of dream consciousness back to the the hardness of of the story that shapes our culture and our world Mm. Because there is there is such fluidity and such spaciousness in every moment. I mean, I think the ocean is a brilliant metaphor for that. But we're we're trained to turn the self into a thing and to see what's around us as things. And and you know, there's a the the most experimentally real aspect of our world is on the quantum level where consciousness and matter are inseparable and non-local connections are commonplace. It's, it's the nature of our world. And, and until you unclench the body and soften it into that sort of oceanic limitlessness, you're incapacitating your ability to experience that. 
Hmm. Very true. It's, it's important to embody that experience of that oceanic vast depth that's possible in the human experience. Um, and there's almost a, uh, a certainty and a simplicity to it. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm an empath and I feel very deeply and, um, you know, I've, I've been practicing yoga for years and I meditate and, you know, there are all these tools under my belt that I can use to feel and to embody and to experience, uh, life in a really alive, astute way. Um, at the same time, there's a dark side to this, you know, the feeling all these intensities and feeling this energy and, and as much as we want to believe that it's all optimistic and great, um, you know, feelings in their natural state are mixed and, you know, it's not always this beautiful, uplifting experience. Um, you know, our head wants to get in the way and compartmentalize and break them down. Um, you know, I, how do we live in the complexity of it all with grace to, you know, as you've written in your book, there's a dance, there's a, there's a grace to this harmony. And is there a need to be sensitive with groundedness when you're experiencing this approach to life? And how do we do that? Yeah. I mean, groundedness you know, we again, because we live in our heads, we really misunderstand what intelligence is. Um, we think it's the ability to reason in an abstract fashion, which is such a tiny little bandwidth on the vast spectrum mm-hmm. of what intelligence is. So, so intelligence, first of all, is sensitivity, which is an empath that you would be highly attuned to. But sensitivity is reactive. So if the, if the retina of the eye didn't react to light, we wouldn't see. Mm-hmm. And that reactivity needs the complement of groundedness in order to make coherent the information that it's accessing. And so that, you know, the grounded sensitivity is, you know, the coupling of complementary opposites that attune us to the world. And, and it's not, it's not that life is all roses. It's not, you know, life, life is everything. It's, it's grief and tenderness and heartbreak and beauty and joy and, and savagery. It's all there. But, but, but that grace that you're talking about, we, we think we can self-achieve it. We think we can self-achieve peace of heart. We think we we think we can possess these qualities or or self-achieve um, harmony. All of those qualities belong to the present. So the present is always in a state of grace. The present is always at peace. The present is always in harmony. And and if you surrender to the present bodily, if you make yourself available to the present and find your groundedness within that sensitivity, then you partake of the grace that belongs to the present. You partake of its peace. You partake of its harmony. And you don't 
you don't possess or or acquire any of those qualities any more than you can achieve wholeness. You are whole. The, the world is knows nothing but wholeness. Everything depends on everything. Everything leans on everything. You can't escape wholeness. So you can't achieve wholeness, but you can surrender to it because you're you're desensitized to it by the culture you live in. And then how to how to find that groundedness in the body, literally how to let the center of your awareness drop down through the body and come to rest on the pelvic floor and allow yourself to just be. And in that state of being, in that surrender, you'll be touched by the grace of the present and the joy and the love of the present. And and even when grief and hardship and pain come your way, because that doesn't keep any of them at bay, that's the nature of life. But the difference is you're, you're never alone in it. Mm. There's always the companionship of the present with you in it. And I love... And not to go back into the head and, and analyze everything, but everything that you're saying is in, is in the body, and it's something that is talked about in spiritual circles. But at the same time, what we're finding is backed, it's finally starting to catch up, and it's backed in science now. So I find this fascinating that everything that we have been exploring as, you know, these embodied beings on this planet, we think we know in our heart is, you know, everything that we're experiencing. And then boom, science comes out with a new article that says everything that we've known for years. So not to nerd out on quantum physics and science with you, but have you heard of the Schumann resonance? And, um, and are you, are you familiar with this concept about, you know, the earth is, um, speeding up? the electromagnetic yeah. field and it's um it's been protecting all living things with the natural frequency of a certain pulse and yeah. it's like the earth's heartbeat and for the first time in recorded history back at the end of January the Schumann resonance it reached frequencies of over 36 plus hertz and you know not to go into the numbers or the science of it but do you think that since we are all energy and we're creatures made of matter, do you think that uh, the as the Earth's frequency is rising, does this raise our frequency and even just the ability for us as humans to access this information? Do you think that's helping us to evolve, or is there is your work in any way connected to the evolving human consciousness that has to do with science-backed Schumann resonance? Um. My, my own take on it yes. mm -hmm. is that the more abstract our thinking, our consciousness, our lives become, the more we disconnect from the earth. And that our, our accelerating abstractions, and abstractions cannot come to rest, they, 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 they're always moving. They're always moving. Um, I think there's a... Um, an immutable connection between human consciousness and, and the Earth's resonance. 
Um, and, you know, I, I look at what's ahead. I look at where we're evolving and we just, we seem to be fixated on the idea that knowledge will save us. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, you know, you say it, 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 it it's the assumption is everywhere but as soon as you say it, you realize, well, hold on. You know, if knowledge could save us, you know, wouldn't we be in much, much better shape as a species than we were 2,000 years ago when we thought the, the sun moved around the earth and we didn't know there, were, there was a capillary system in the body? And, you know, we, we didn't know about – I mean, we were ignorant. But the fact is we're, we've stretched the – the web of life on earth to such an extent that it's starting to fray and and that fraying is the result of knowledge knowing how to burn petrochemicals knowing how to make plastic knowing how to make toxins knowing you know and so you begin to understand knowledge is lethal unless it's counterbalanced by self-knowledge and self-knowledge requires the body you can't open your being to a child playing in the grass, to a tree in all its magnificence. You can't do that except through the body. And so without that, you know, without that countervailing grounded quality of self-knowledge that, that is only gained through humility, I mean, you just don't open your being to someone else without humility. <laughs> and humility means, you know, means it comes from the same root as humble and human and and humus. Humus it means the earth, you know, that the humus of the earth. Um, without that, um, I just I just worry about the the accelerating frequencies of of um, human activity, human consciousness at large. Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of quietly laughing to myself now as you talk because, <laughs> like, I live in my head and in my body, and your book is kind of, and your book is all in the head. It's your reading, you're gaining wisdom and insights. So it's like there's this huge paradox that I'm experiencing as I'm talking with you and reading more knowledge because knowledge, as you say, knowledge is lethal unless it's accompanied by self-knowledge. So I'm reading your book and laughing and listening to you and laughing because it's like, I know all of this. Why am I still in my head? Why am I asking these questions? It's like, it's so, in, it's so simple and it's so intrinsic to our nature, but it's like, I'm constantly just taking a few steps and then looking behind me saying, am I on the right path? Am I on the right path? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so it's can, almost I, humorous in a way. <laughs> yeah, I can give you a little clue. Um, because you're, uh, this, this wound between our thinking and our being, that's, that's what you're experiencing. The way, the, the way that division shows up is that you think your thoughts or you feel your feelings. As your thinking and your being um, adhere and, and, and become a unity, you feel every thought. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, so so the less you feel your thoughts, the more they're head-centric. Mm. When your thoughts are felt 
in your pelvic bowl, then they're, they're in that place of integration and relationship and connection. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely, I'm learning more to get out of my head, <laughs> which is. Yeah, or, yeah, or to, or to, it, you know, it's not, or to, to integrate it with, with the body. Mm-hmm. So it's not a matter of, of denigrating the head or, or anything. It's a matter of bringing it into relationship. And in that relationship, you know, to recognize that when that relationship between the head and the pelvic bowl is in balance, the head is, is, offers its gifts in humility to the pelvic bowl, and only by doing so do those gifts acquire their full value. Is this the same or is it similar to the experience of feeling colors and shapes? There's there's a word, I think it's synesthesia. 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 Yeah. Is that similar? Because I experience that sometimes. Is that is that a way of embodying the experience or is it different than that? I I, I think they're related, but I but to me it is different. So there's um there's a tribe in Africa called the Anglo Ive tribe. Mm-hmm. And there's a great book about them uh, called Culture and the Senses by Catherine Lynn Geertz. Um, and this, this tribe um, ha- has a completely different sensorium, a completely different idea of what senses are from what we do. Um, their main word for the senses is sesalalame. And Sesalalame is translated as feel, feel at flesh inside. Mm. And they feel everything through the flesh of the body. And, you know, all of our senses reinforce a boundary around the self. So we only accept as a sense something that, you know, where a stimulus crosses the boundary of the self and arrives on a receptor and is sent to the brain for interpretation. To us, that's what a sense is. So so we only accept what reinforces a separation of self and world. So, for example, we don't accept balance as a sense. And we speak of a sense of balance, and we have a sense organ devoted to balance, but it doesn't conform to that model of reinforcing a boundary. Because, because it's a felt relationship balance. You feel through your body the center of the earth, even as, as, as it feels you. And you're in a felt relationship. So we, it's not useful to us as a sense because it doesn't uphold that aspect of the story that says we are independent of the world around us. Wow. That's fascinating. I'm, I definitely want to go check out this culture, this uh that's that's really fascinating that they experience life like that. I'm, I'll yeah. um, I'll include a link in the podcast so that people can find and learn more about this. Um, yeah, and I also uh, I write I write about it in my new book at length. Of course, it's not out until November twenty first, but stay tuned. <laughs> I cannot wait it, to read it. <laughs> yeah, it's called Radical Wholeness, by the way. Excellent. Where can um, where's your home online? Where can we go to find you? Well, I've, uh, my website is just my name, uh, philipshepherd.com. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, philip with one L 
and shepherd spelled exactly the way the guy who looks after sheep is spelled. S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. Excellent. Yeah, I'm really excited about your new book, Radical Wholeness, because your an experience of reading your book is, is just beautiful. And I love everything that you're about and the work that you do in this world. So I'm so well, honored to have you on my podcast, Philip. Thank you so much. Well, it's for joining so me. much fun to have a chance to talk with you about this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The world needs it. The world needs um, people like you who are studying this and experiencing it. And I really value the work that you do. So thanks again for joining me on the show. My great pleasure. All the best. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with The Art of Humanity.